0: all right money talk time to make some sense of what is happening out there in the wide world of business and economics we are welcoming to the show today regular guest andrew Ferris, the ceo of Equinosis advisory good morning andrew
1: good morning
0: great to have you back on uh, also returning to the show is dong chen head of asia macroeconomic research at Pictet wealth management good morning
1: good
2: morning
0: All right, gentlemen, uh, where do we want to go? There's been a lot happening out there uh, this week. We've been talking a lot about the IMF predictions, um, but I think people are really interested in what's happening in China. And, I mean, some of the export numbers came in yesterday, much better than expected. Uh, Dong, what's what's your take on what's happening with China and exports?
2: Well I think that's really a positive surprise but uh, I think we need to evaluate how sustainable this is because this set of numbers actually are at odds with you know some previous measures for example you look at the export order from the earlier release PMI numbers actually the export order sub index were you know in contraction so I think part of this positive surprise could be you know the realization of the backward backlog orders that got released and so on but uh, we need to keep watching so but obviously for the March number there they are positive So, are you saying
0: that maybe it wasn't so much that demand is actually higher but maybe they were they were a little bit backlogged production wasn't firing on on uh, on all cylinders in February so they were kind of getting things going in March and fulfilling back orders or
2: yeah that's our conjecture because you look at the global economy right They were expecting US economy to head into recession in the second half of this year. And, uh, well, Europe is slightly better, but still definitely not on, on fire. So we are expecting the global economy or external demand for gradually weaken going forward. So that's why we're still fairly you know conservative on this.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean those export numbers, I mean, I guess we've got to look at them a little more carefully. I understand that Southeast Asia was up, exports to Europe were up. But exports to the U.S. were down. Um, Andrew, what, I mean, uh, what, what's your take on all this? Yeah,
1: when two economists agree, it's uh, it's, it's time to hit uh, hit the road and leave. In fact, it's always a b- bad idea. But anyway, <laughs> I, I definitely agree with uh, Dong's stake. Mine is slightly tangential in the sense looking at the industrial output it's completely flat. Looking at the Kikesin index uh, and the other. Uh, Purchases managers indexes they are over 50, which is okay, but there seems no clear acceleration. The only two indexes that are always funny to look at that is a Bloomberg quote that is a Bloomberg monthly GDP index and the leak index that is primarily finance, uh, rail freight and um, uh, electricity consumption and they are all up and very significantly up in the last three months. Now, I'm not quite sure that that shows anything at all. And this may very well reflect the uh, take-up of past export orders, given that industrial output is completely flat.
0: Hmm. And when industrial output is flat, what sectors are you looking at there? Does that mean that people aren't building new factories because they're not... Uh, they're not anticipating a medium long term improvement. Well, in well, hang on a minute. This
1: this is simply value added production. It isn't, uh, and it is it is an index that uh, is weighted, of course, with the different sectors in in China. You know, I didn't I didn't look it specifically because then I mm. need to also to know the structure of exports and the structure of exports. Apparently, in this particular best, have changed to the extent that you're having electrical cars, you're having more electronic goods, you're having lithium batteries, you're having things that are not. The, the standard fare of Chinese exports. Okay. Uh,
0: Dong Chen, if, if, there's, if there's problems with Chinese manufacturing, is, you know maybe, maybe they're getting back up to speed, is it because they can't import the necessary components? Do they have, uh, do they have continuing labour issues as they try to get people back to factories? Uh, where, where are the hang-ups, where are the challenges for Chinese exports and manufacturing?
2: Well, uh, external demand definitely is still an issue I just mentioned, but but, I mean, from a supply perspective, I think Chinese economy is back, right? So, you know, the capacity is back. You have, uh, you know, employment, I think industrial sector at least stabilized. But the situation is, you know, you have this capacity, but you Probably is going to face in, face a, you know softening demand going forward. That's why you look at the PPI, you know the, the measure of industrial goods, you know out of factory price. Actually, they're falling, right? So that is a good indicator that demand is weak. So I think the situation, you know, the really weak spot at this point is demand.
0: Hmm. And I, I mean, for for a few months now, people have been talking like, uh, what really matters in China is domestic consumption, and I think exports have been a little bit neglected. We get some good numbers today, so we've got to focus on it. But do you think that this changes the picture of where China's real opportunities for growth are? Is it? Is it? You know? Is it? Should should we still be focused on domestic consumption, or have people kind of overplayed that that story?
2: I just do think that domestic demand is the key this year, you know, not just the consumption. Of course, we, we do think that consumption recovery should be the most important pillar for, for growth this year. But we are also looking at investment, for example, we particularly look at how quickly the housing market actually can back down their foot.
1: This is perhaps a sobering thought here because retail sales in China are still negative. Mm. They are, they're going up. The, it's a smaller negative and the, the index has done has done a dip and it's going up. But but still, it's not growing. Let's say five six percent kind of thing. Yeah. Mm.
0: I mean, in North America. The story we're hearing is that your WalMarts and Amazons are, are cutting back because people are buying less stuff. They're buying fewer. Things, but they are spending a lot more on services. They're, they're shifting from a, a you know buying things economy to a having experiences economy. Are we seeing something similar in China? Like I understand travel, for example, is not you know recovering as quickly as people thought. Is is China shifting from buying stuff to services, or are they still definitely
2: in the buying stuff category? I think definitely you, you see a similar trend there because you look at, for example, manufacturing PMI versus non-manufacturing PMI, particularly, you know, the service sub-index within that. Services are doing better, right? So people try want to travel. Of course, there are nice things, but uh, uh, overall, I still think that at this stage, the I mean, service recovery definitely goes faster you know than the good sector
1: Uh, you know andrew um, i have a funny feeling uh, this may take a very long time Uh, taking right now which is the single biggest tourist market in the world in the world the answer is it has been it will be and it will continue to be the united states the americans you know only about 25 percent of the americans have got passports the rest Mm -hmm. of them they spend their Free time at home. You know, China has got everything. It has got, if you want sites, archaeological sites, it has them. You want the Himalayas to go skiing, it has them. You want tropics down to the south, you have them. You want beach, you want mountains, you want flat plains, you got big cities, you got shopping. Very soon, I wouldn't be surprised that the domestic tourism is going to be much, much more important than it has ever been and particularly of course this has been something that the covid might have taught us might just have taught us once the burst of uh, suppressed uh, traveling is over and uh, we've seen this also in hong kong remember in hong kong at the peak there would have been four and a half million tourists a month i'll say that slowly a month dream on i just can't see this happening ever again (laughs)
0: That's going to have to change a lot of people's uh, right. outlook on 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 how they're planning around tourism business. I had uh, friends that were up in Niseko uh, over the recent uh, holidays, and their their comment was like the mainland Chinese have not come back to Niseko yet. They used to be there pre COVID, and there were none up during the ski season. Mm. And they're, they're thinking they will come back next year, but you're saying maybe not. Maybe China's dis- maybe the Chinese have discovered China.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not being sarcastic or, 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 or malevolent. You know, this is this is this is the real world and real things are happening. Yeah. 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 I
2: think that will be a gradual process. I mean, don't don't expect snapping back in a scenario because look at the situation last year in China. You know, the household sector balance sheet really took a hit. You know, people's income got hit and you don't have the same kind of government subsidies me handing you a a, a cheque like in the United States. And so that will take time to recover. Huh. Uh,
0: one category that uh, we, can, we can infer is doing better are the wealthy in China. LVMH uh, reported uh, just absolutely blowout results for the first part of the year, in large part because of dramatically increased spending uh, on their luxury products in China. Um, is, is there a gap between people at the top end of the economic income and how well they're doing versus people in the middle class or at the lower end of the economic?
2: I spectrum? think that's a very good observation. Yes, we we, we are exp- uh, we're seeing the same. So we're bullish luxury brands. We're very bullish, you know, very high-end consumption. Uh, but uh, that is a small number, I mean, a small part of this population. But if you look at the broad consumption picture, I you mean, know, as Andrew just pointed out, retail sales as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, still flat or slightly mm. negative. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. So you really got You really got to pick
0: your spots in the market in that case. Yeah, Andrew?
1: Uh, yes, actually the wealth distribution and therefore the reaction of any changes in the wealth distribution will find itself in the spending of luxury goods and this might have been politically speaking a bad thing in inverted commas to happen for the Chinese authorities to come back again with spreading their wealth evenly amongst people. You know, I believe in what uh, the French called le ascenseur, the elevator effect. In mm-hmm. other words, we are all inside stuck in a lift. As long as it keeps going up, okay, we don't particularly object. Now, the guys that are near uh, the aircon vent or near uh, the glass views and they can look outside, they feel happier. So the distribution within the lift may very well be almost completely relevant as long as the lift keeps going up. I strongly believe in that. Hmm.
0: So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting picture from China. I do want to take a look at what's happening uh, in, in the banking sector. I know uh, Dong Chen, you've been looking into this recently. What's happening with the, the stress on U.S. and European banks, in particular? Uh, can we breathe easy? Is that is that story done, or do you think there's still
2: some more some more disasters hiding in the in the woodwork? Uh, well, I think the picture is a little bit more complicated than, 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 than saying it's good or bad yeah. because I mean, on the one hand we, at this stage at least I mean we're not looking at a kind of 2008 style kind of financial crisis. I mean, the, the reason is pretty simple because I mean, this is caused by the Fed hike and you know the underlying assets held by those banks actually are of much higher quality than you know back in 2007. so we're not worrying about that. and the policymakers are acting very rapidly to try to to you know, stop the the contagion, and, and so far, so we're not assuming any further contagion. But having said that, I wouldn't say there won't be damages. The you know, damages will be there. For example, you know, uh, when when banks are facing this kind of you know financing uh, stress, they are going to reduce their their credit, uh, their lending, right? So this is going to cause damage to the economy, which is going to accelerate. The, uh, the arrival of potential recession in the United States. And as long as the rate stays high as where it is, this is gonna continue to put pressure on the economy and you will see other places in the economy probably see trouble coming up. Uh, one area that we're watching very carefully at this point is commercial real estate in the United States.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. And you're watching the commercial real estate in the United States. I mean, Blackstone's kind of been making a name for itself by defaulting on loans on underperforming commercial properties in, in Finland, in Vegas, uh, in Nevada. I mean, <laughs> I mean, is that is it, And I mean, clearly, you know, they've got the money somewhere. They're just choosing not to support those commercial properties that are underperforming. Is is that a little bit of a bellwether? Is that is that kind of an an early sign that things are going to start to go wrong? Another parts of the commercial real estate market.
2: Well that, That's definitely the early signs of that. And also more broadly, look at, for example, the high yield space. We think that default rate probably will be going up. Right. Mm. Yeah. Andrew, where, where are you looking for weakness in Europe?
1: Defense, defense, defense. No, I'm not looking for a weakness. I'm looking for a place, a set of companies and a set of sectors, OK, that are effectively interest rate immune because their main client, the governments, are also interest rate immune. And also all the governments. And I mean all by mean not just in Europe, not just, of course, in the United States, but right across Asia, with a possible exception in Latin America. They are buying as if there is no tomorrow. I like that. Right. So Don's
0: (laughs) saying play defense on commercial real estate. You're saying play offense on defense, but really you're talking about offense on offensive weaponry uh, within the defense sector is i mean is it is it spending on defense like you see Japan is stepping up its spending on you know theoretically defensive measures you know missile threats from North Korea but in other places uh correct, correct, correct. buying offensive weaponry
1: let, let me let me give you a, a subtle example that has simply arose and it arose following a huge political crisis Australia is going to become a major nuclear submarine sector in the Pacific wow it's happening as we talk mm i
0: mean they're building four submarines uh, uh,
1: andrew i refuse to call defense defense it's not defense it is offense <laughs> yeah. come on it, it, it's the kind of a of a pure lie i buy things to kill other people with i'm sorry it's very blunt but that is what it is about immoral yes okay politically incredibly sensitive yes am i going to hang around here and say i really approve of things killing other people but I'm sorry, I'm an investment manager and an investment banker, and I have to tell my clients, that's a sector, and if you don't like the morality of it, stay clear out of that. It's perfectly all right.
0: I mean, I mean, I, mean, I guess, you know, uh, Israel, who do not lack for offensive armament, they, they have, for example, the Iron Dome, which I think is fairly, I think it's fair to say that's a, that's a defensive play. But I mean, within, within the industry, do you distinguish between people that are producing things like missile defense systems versus uh, missiles to kill other people?
1: No, I don't, actually, because the they, they produce both. Okay, it's yep. very simple.
0: <laughs> so if you, can, if you can make one, you can make the other, and you've got a winner on your hands. Absolutely. All right, that's great. Well, thank you very much today for Andrew Freres, CEO, uh, Econosis Advising, uh, finishing bullish on offensive uh, defense industries, and Dong Chen, the head of Asia Macroeconomic Research, Peak Day Wealth Management, for a very lively discussion today. Well done, channel.